How's it going, guys? Doing good? Good. Good. I'm going to wait for Ryan to get my stuff together. Give a big thank you for Ryan. All righty, guys. If you don't know, my name is Christian, and I am the intern, like Ryan said, alongside Jacob Woodward, wherever he is out there. There he is. And that means we have the opportunity to be able to preach in front of y'all. And I'm going to let you know, I've been excited for this since the day I signed on to be an intern, because this is what I know we were both looking forward to most, and I am pumped to do this. So I'm just going to dive right in. Last week, Ryan talked about serving and how it starts with the heart. That was his whole point. It starts with the heart, a change in the heart, a passion in the heart, and a feeling in the heart. And this week... We are going to talk about applying that to our lives, and in the sense, applying it to serving within our ministry, specifically United. So backstory on me and how my serving got started. I grew up here. My dad was the worship minister over in Big Church, so I was here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then all day on Sunday. And um, at times, it wasn't fun, but I mean, I grew up in Promised Land, kindergarten through fifth grade, I was in Promised Land. And I went through all that. I hadn't gone to big church yet. And then when I hit sixth grade, uh, they say, hey, do you want to be a leader here in Promised Land? And I was like, yes, of course I do. I just don't want to go to big church yet. I want to continue playing with crayons and dancing and having fun and playing games. So I decided to do that. And then over the years, it, I started serving in sixth grade, and I've been continuing doing Promised Land. Right now, I'm in my sophomore year of college. So I've been doing it for a long time. And I've been able to see... A lot of people even in this room grow up through all those grades. I know people like Ashley Hutchinson and Macy Cannon. I had kindergarten through fifth grade, and I got to watch them grow, and I got to watch them grow into the people they are today. And it was one of the most satisfying feelings watching them and being able to pour into them and serve them and help them become strong Christian women and then helping all the boys become strong Christian men. And when I realized the change that I was able to bring about in them, and the change I was able to watch in them, it made me take a step back and think about all the people who poured into me and helped me. And just to name a few, Courtney Stallman, she was one who taught in Promised Land for years, and she showed me. And then Ryan Sweat would do the summer curriculum with uh, Kid Mo, and that was always fun and entertaining. And then a few of you vets in here who grew up at the church will remember David Rose, who used to go by the name of Ryman Simon. And we used to have Bible verse shout out and see who could yell the Bible verse the loudest and who could memorize it the best. But those are my memories. And I had teachers like Mr. Cannon, Macy's dad, and he's the one who showed me and modeled about how it looks to live out your life outside of the church. Uh, he's the one, and all those leaders were the ones who taught me my values, taught me what it looks like to be a strong Christian man. And I mean... They're the ones who got me started in serving as a small group. They're the ones who pushed me to do that. And so I started leading a sixth grade boys small group. So now they're seventh grade. Seventh grade boys, raise your hand. They're right there. Those are my boys. Those are my boys. I had them kindergarten through fifth grade as well in Promised Land. And I have gotten to see them grow. And then when they offered, like, hey, you can be the sixth grade boys small group leader, I jumped on that opportunity. I was originally supposed to go to UCF. I still even have an apartment there because we signed a year-long lease. But when I got offered that position, I was like, you know what? Those things in my life can wait. 
because I'm going to give my all to serve for these boys because I know I can make a change in them. And right now it might sound like I'm bragging about all the things I've done, but I don't want it to come across that way because I still have many things wrong with the way I serve. I'm still learning how to serve all out and how to own serving. Even today, uh, Ryan brought up, when we were going over my sermon and practicing, he's like, because I said, I don't want to sound like braggy in that first part. Can I cut some of that out? He said, well, you can talk about like the things that you mess up on. And I was like, well, sometimes I serve with a, uh, a begrudging heart. Like sometimes I serve like, oh, I don't want to do this. Because even today, I tell you what, I was so annoyed today. Ivan Mayfield, who's in here, we woke up early this morning and we moved all my crap out of my house because my... My roommate was kicking me out because someone else was moving in. And so we woke up early. We came to the church, got the trailer. Then we went and moved my crap. And then um, right after we finished unloading everything at the new house, I got here. And I was just excited to eat. And we had our small group, like the middle school small group training lunch. And I was really excited to eat. But Ryan, when I got here, he's like, hey, can you go get more lettuce? Because we need more lettuce for the food. And I was like you serious? Like, I, I really don't want, I'm not even going to eat any of the lettuce. I'm not even, I don't want any. And he's like, yes, go get it. And I was like, okay, fine. And my church is parked all the way on the other side. And I just changed into non-sweaty moving clothes. But, you know, I ran out there. And then for some reason in my stupid brain, I thought that Walgreens sold lettuce. <laughs> How is that such a thing that everybody knows? They sell everything. I expected them to have it. Whatever. I needed deodorant, too, so I was like, you know what? Walgreens, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I go there. I see that there's no lettuce. I throw my deodorant. I just don't even, like, go and pick it up. And then I drive to Publix, and I'm looking at all the lettuce, and I'm like, okay, what type to get? So I just get a head of lettuce. I get my deodorant, and then I drive a million miles an hour back to the church. If any of you know me, you know I'm a terrible driver, and you know I love to drive fast, especially when I'm angry. But I drive back to the church. And I sit down, and I don't even eat. I don't even eat because I'm having a negative attitude. I was like, you know what? I don't even want any of the food. And right there, I was serving begrudgingly. I was serving with a negative heart. And there was a point in my life when I realized that I was serving for myself and that I needed to change that and I needed to serve for other people. And I remember that specific instance of when I decided to make that change. And it was in 10th grade, and I was helping out at Interact. A lot of you guys who go to Fletcher are probably in Interact Club. And um, I was helping out at Interact. We were doing an art auction in Ponte Vedra at the clubhouse. And it was really boring. They really did not need us there. But all I would do is I would bring the painting up. I would set it on the easel. I would stand next to it, look at it, look at the people bidding thousands of dollars for these splatter arts. I didn't really care. But then afterward, I would take it, and I would go put it in their pile of their stuff. But at the end of the night, I found something I could do, and I started carrying it out to their car. The first guy I brought it out to, he offers me a tip, and he hands me a $20 bill as a tip. And I was like, oh, yes. But uh, Mr. Brown, our Interact teacher, was like, hey, we're here to serve others, not be served. We're not going to take tips. But I was like, you know, I'm going to take this tip, and he's just not going to know. I go inside. I take out another painting. Another guy gives me a tip. Same thing. The rest of the night, I keep getting tips. End of the night, I ended up with $114 in tips. And I was like, I was stoked. I'm going to let you know, I was so happy because in 10th grade, didn't have a job. And when you don't have a job and you have, just have a random $114 fall into your lap, like that is, that is balling out money. I was, I was fixing to go crazy. But, but 
Later that night, I was just sitting at home, and I was, I was like laying in my bed, and I felt really good about myself up until that point. I was like showing people the money, and I was excited, but then I started to feel bad. And I realized it was because I, I couldn't find one part of that night other than the money that I thought was like good. And it was at that point, not in a bad way, but like it was at that point I realized like I was serving for myself and I wasn't serving others. I wasn't going all out. I wasn't owning serving. So then I turned to the Bible and like that's the place where you can, you can find like the best perfect examples of serving. And I pulled one of those perfect examples of serving out and I'm going to have all of you uh, turn to Luke 10 verse 25. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and trip. We'll give you a Bible. Trip and Loudon and Matt will pass out Bibles. Matt Moffitt, I love you. Come on, man. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. And Luke 10, verse 25. Everybody have a Bible? Everybody at Luke 10? Yes? Yes? Okay, I'm going to start. Okay, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right there, that made me stop. I always love how in the Bible, on multiple occasions, an expert in the law, an expert in the Bible, thinks he's going to trip up Jesus with a question, as if the Son of God isn't going to get any sort of biblical question correct. But like that, I always find that funny. They're like, oh, I'm going to get him on this one. But no, Jesus replies... What is written in the law, and how do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, stop right there. You know how in class, like if a teacher would mention something more than once and put it in the notes more than once, it was typically important and going to be on the test? This is said in the Bible on four separate occasions. So right there, important. Remember that, because that's going to be important. It's going to be on the test of life. Um... He also continues, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Stop right there. This guy is already wanting to see, hey, what's the bare minimum that I can do? What's the bare minimum number of people I have to help? Who is my neighbor? Because certainly you can't mean I have to help them over there. Because they have more than me. Why should I help and serve somebody who has more than me? Or certainly you can't mean them over there. They're, they're terrible people. They don't deserve my help. So right there. But then Jesus responds with a story, as he often did, a story with a teaching. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped off his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was very dangerous and was fraught with perils fraught with robbers, bandits. So the essential to the American side would be like, he was mugged, they took everything from him, including his clothes, and left him there to die. Um, A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a priest, someone who I would think of as being someone who's upright in moral standing and would look up to in many regards, sees this man laying here, half dead, he's walking down, and then he walks to the other side. I can't imagine the pain that this guy felt right here, dying. He sees a priest, he's like, oh man, I am saved, he's going to help me. 
that the priest walks to the other side. Because in my imagination, the priest is like, you know what, he's not worth my time. If you didn't know this, if a priest touched somebody who was bloodied and beaten like that, he would have to go through many stages at the temple to cleanse himself, to make himself holy again. So he sees him, he's like, you know what, I'm going to try and save this guy. I don't even know if he's going to live. And then after that, I'm going to have to do so much work. So you know what, it's not even worth it. It's not worth my time. He passes to the other side. Continues on. Uh, Soon too, a Levite passed by on the other side. A Levite. He's a elite in the church. Somebody who would be thought of and looked up to, like a leader, like a small group leader. Sees him there, same thing. Veers off to the side because he doesn't want to deal with him. He sees him there but doesn't want to deal with him. He's like, no one else is around. I'm not going to get any sort of recognition for this. No one's going to know that I didn't help him, so why should I? So he passes on to the other side. But then, uh, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn to take care of him. Samaritans and Jews were two people that did not associate with each other. They didn't get along. They hated each other. That's why very often in the Bible when Jesus associated with Samaritans, people were like, what are you doing? The Samaritans are the untouchables. We don't go near them. But this Samaritan sees a Jew laying there and hurt. He takes pity on him. He goes over. He pours oil and wine on his wounds. He bandages him and then puts him on his own donkey, walks next to him all the way to the nearest inn so he can further take care of him. Right there. He's already going above and beyond. He could have just bandaged his wounds, but he's like, no, I'm going to make sure this man is okay. I'm going to own this situation. I'm going to take care of him the best way that I possibly can. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after me, said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Again, he's going even further beyond what he's already done. He says, here, take this money and care for him however he needs. And tell you what, if he needs more, go ahead and buy that. I'll be back in a few days, and I want you to pay, and I, I will pay you back for any sort of cost he has amassed. Because this guy right here, he is my lifestyle. He is my purpose. I am owning this situation. He is going to be put on the top list of my priorities, is serving him. After he tells the story, Jesus asks, which of these men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I love how the expert in the law can't even say the Samaritan. He can't even spit the words out of his mouth because if he said the Samaritan, he would have had to realize like, oh man, I have to serve the ones who I don't want to and not just serve them, like do little things for them. I have to go all out for the people that I hate. Why should I do that? But no, that's what Jesus is calling him to do. At the beginning, he says, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't even answer that question in like, oh, everyone's my neighbor. He's like, Why are you even asking? Everyone is your neighbor. You don't even need to ask. Everyone is your neighbor. The disfigured, the ones you hate, the ones you love, everyone is. But he said, go and do likewise. Whoops. (laughs) So what did the Samaritan do differently? He didn't just do the bare minimum. He went all out because he owned the situation. When you own something, you take better care of it. When you own something, you want to put the best name on it that you possibly could. 
the best example from my life is I used to work at UPS and the store, and I tell you what, I did love that job, but their whole thing is like, oh, we have great customer service, and we're going to have a smile on our face even through the crap. Uh, you brought a package in, and you packed it. You packed it terribly. It shipped. It got broken. But now you're cursing me out and yelling at me in the middle of the store, and I'm just going to sit there with a big old smile on my face saying like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But no, I can't do anything to help you because you packed it. But my boss, Brett Duncan, if any of you guys know Brett Duncan, you know that he is going to be one of the most amazing men ever. And he, to me, is my one of my biggest role models in my life because he just exudes godliness. He just exudes like a strong Christian heart. Whenever he would work, whenever he would work, he would go in there with the biggest smile on his face, smile like shaking people's hands, like, how are you today? How are you today? And he didn't want just a good, like, oh, I'm doing good or I'm doing fine. He truly wanted to know. He wanted to know how they were. And when he dealt with a, a bad customer, he's like, you know what, we'll take care of that for you. I am so sorry that any of that happened. When they used to leave, when a bad customer used to leave, I used to turn to my other coworkers. I'd be like, can you believe that piece of crap that just yelled at me? Like, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? I didn't do anything. I'm just an employee. I'm just working. Like, that's not my job. But when Brett worked, that became his top priority, was making sure this customer was satisfied. When there was no other customers in the store, he'd go stand outside the door and say, greet people as they walk by, shake their hands, say, hey, I hope you have a great day. He'd want to, he was curious. He wanted to know what was going on in their lives because there's a difference between owning something and just working for something. Very often in our lives, I feel like we treat serving as just working for something. We're not owning it. We're not giving it all we got. We're not looking at it like, oh, if this goes bad, people are going to look at me for it going wrong, which is the wrong opinion to have because when you serve like you own it, so that's... That's the point I want you guys to get, is own your ministry. UPS was his home. That's where he worked. This church is our home. So I'm calling you, and God is calling you to own your ministry. Serve with all you got. Don't do the bare minimum. Because, I mean, examples even in this own church is we have people every week who stay after every single one of y'all leave and go through the rows and pick up the trash. And that's one of the worst jobs because some of y'all hang out here for a really long time afterward. But no, they stay here till the end. They pick up everything. And before the service, like making sure all those cards are behind the chairs. And it's not like an OCD thing for Ryan, but like he wants to make sure there's only one card in each chair. They're all in the same spot and that Beach Students logo is facing out because you know what? He wants to serve with excellence. He talked about that last week, serving with excellence. Don't half do something serve with excellence. Um, Jacob and I were in charge of the serve teams this year, the ones, the greeters, the uh, hosts and all that. When uh, they would come in, very often we had people who wouldn't show up, but thank goodness we had a team of people who were going above and beyond in their serving and coming every single week, even weeks they weren't scheduled to serve. People like Carly Brown and Kylie Krumholtz and Emily Friedland and Megan Woodward and Abby Woodward, and I'm sure there's more, and I'm sorry I'm not mentioning your names, but we basically had a team we could always count on to fill in because they were doing the work that other, people's, other people weren't wanting to do. And in the best way to follow the perfect example of serving is Jesus. Jesus set that perfect example of serving. He came to serve, not to be served. 
one of the last nights Jesus was here on this earth, he went down to wash the feet of his disciples, a job thought of to be disgusting and for the lowest of the low. But and then the, even his disciples were like, no, teacher, you can't wash my feet. Let me wash yours. Jesus said, no, no. He came to serve, not to be served. He wanted to serve his disciples. He wanted to serve the people who were thought of as the worst, the tax collectors, the lawyers, the people thought of as untouchables, the lepers, the disfigured, the disabled. He came to serve them, not to, not to just pass by. He wanted to go above and beyond. And he did go above and beyond because he died for all of us while we were still sinners, while we were still messing around and doing the wrong thing, even to this day still doing the wrong thing. Jesus died for us so that we may live forever with him. When I was preparing for this sermon, uh, Ryan posed a, uh, a scary question to me, which when he first asked, it wasn't scary. It wasn't until I thought about it more in depth that it was. And it was, what if no one served? And when I thought about it at first, I was like, okay, as far as the church goes, it's going to require some more work of the people who get paid to be here. Um, it's going to require maybe hiring someone else to help pick up any sort of slack that there would be. But I didn't think about all that would go away. I mean, I didn't think about the greeters when the people come and they go and shake hands and give a hug or a high five to somebody who walks to the door and making them feel welcome. That would be gone. I didn't think about the tech team up there who makes everything look good up here. The lights, the band sounding good. That's their job. They do that. If they weren't there, that would be gone. The band, who is a team of volunteers, they all get here hours early and practice these songs so that we can all worship together. That would be gone. The upperclassmen who invite the newer kids to sit with them when they come here to make them feel more welcome, to make this place feel like a home, that would be gone. But think outside the church. Think of all the things that are service-driven, all the nonprofits, Red Cross, UNICEF, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Doctors Without Borders, these institutions that save millions of lives each year, these institutions that save millions from hunger and starvation, those would all be gone and disappear. Uh, locally, Beam and Seven North, the thing we just worked so hard to build, that would never have even existed. Uh, I know a few of you in this room just got back from the North Jacks trip. All those teachers that we helped set up their classrooms for hours, they would have to come in early and do all that by themselves. That would be gone. All the lawns that we went and kept up with and mowed and did, that would be gone too. Like people who have no money or no means to do it, they would never have been helped. We have never had those conversations with them. A lot of you in this room have been on a mission trip. Albany, Jamaica, uh, North Jacks too. Think of all the lives we touch on these trips and the lives we save. We don't just save physical lives. We save eternal lives on these trips. And that's what a mission trip is. It's ultimate serving. We're giving of our time and money because, as you know, it's not cheap. Jamaica's $1,100. That's expensive. It takes nine days out of our lives to go there. We're tired. We're working hard. But you know what? We're changing lives of people there. We're happy, and we're going all out with our serving. On the last trip, on North Jacks was our last mission trip of the year, and one of the nights we had Eastman, I don't know if he's here tonight, but he, he is? Eastman's here, and he gave a little sermon, and he talked about um, getting rid of a uh, have-to attitude and getting a get-to attitude. 
We need to get rid of this, oh, I have to serve attitude, or I have to do this. And we need to gain a get-to attitude. Hey, I get to serve. I get the opportunity to touch the lives and to love all the people in this room. I get to do that. We don't have to. If you started using that, like Eastman said in his sermon, he said, if you started saying that in your regular life, like, hey, I get to go to work, people would look at you really like you were crazy. Like, I get to go to work? What, what would people think? No, I get to go to church. I get to serve. I get to host and love on the people that walk through this door. So that's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. That's the challenge, is own your ministry. Don't just sit on the sidelines and let other people serve you. Serve because there's others serving you right now. There's others that have been serving you for years. And serve because it's what Jesus called to do. This is your home, and I need you to own that. So in just a second, we're going to pray. And then after I finish praying, if you feel called to go serve, you can go sign up in the back if you didn't do it last week. And also, if you don't feel it right after the prayer, continue praying in your own mind. Get in your own head. Think of everything that everyone's done for you. And if you even have like the tiniest inkling of a passion to serve, just get right up. And as I invite the band to come back up right now as I, as I finish up, that's the only point. If you got nothing else from tonight, is own your ministry. Own your ministry. Because I tell you what, if everyone in here had that overwhelming passion to serve, people would notice the difference. Even if it was just serving in the church, your attitude would switch. If you had that, oh, I get to serve attitude, your attitude would completely and radically switch. So if everybody could bow your heads, close your eyes, we're going to pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to preach tonight about something I feel passion for. God, I know you've called us to serve and you've called us to love you. I pray that tonight... Everyone is overwhelmed with the Spirit and overwhelmed with your passion of serving. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And I just want to return a little bit of that favor to you by owning it and making it a lifestyle, making it what makes us up. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.